0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed.
1: Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly.
0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Hi, the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, Jim Margulis. And our third man, as far as part of the, the booth here on Socks Machine Live, join us again for the second time. It is Bennett Carroll, and
2: I believe I hear Chief also. You do. I don't he never barks except right now. <laughs> I don't know why. He's got a lot to say. He's yeah, got apparently. a lot to
1: say. And uh yeah, so welcome to Sox Machine Live. It is April 22nd, 2021. It's a Thursday night. The Chicago White Sox had a planned day off uh, as they wrapped up what was supposed to be a six-game road trip. Uh, ended up being just five games uh, for the White Sox as they split uh, four games against the Boston Red Sox, and they won the first game against Cle- Cleveland, 8-5, to five, which Jose Abreu broke out. He hit the fastball. We talked about that on Sox, on the last Sox Machine podcast. Jim never doubted him. I didn't doubt him. I just want that for the record. I didn't doubt Jose Abreu. Sure you did. All I said, Jim, <laughs> was that it wasn't weather related, it wasn't time related. He just needed to hit the fast. It road.
2: was father time related, you were saying.
1: Oh, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Anyway, so it was a good win for the White Sox bullpen. Again, a bit shaky, but the White Sox are 9 and 9. And they were supposed to play on Wednesday, but Cleveland, as for those that live in Chicago, we got some weird weather. Cleveland got a lot of snow. That game has been postponed to later in May, which they'll play a doubleheader in Cleveland. And that's where we're going to start here with Sox Machine Live, Jim, because I feel like the White Sox got a benefit here that the bad weather comes at a good time for the White Sox because it not only allows the bullpen to rest – but allows Tony LaRusso to reset his rotation.
2: Anytime you're, you know, going in a series at Cleveland and they have a guy like Aaron Savali, who's, you know, a typical Cleveland starter, underwhelming on paper, underwhelming in terms of his draft Uh, his prospect stock, you know, coming up, he was uh, unheralded. And then he comes to Cleveland starts good, gets better. He had rehaul overhauled his approach and his arsenal and, was making that next step. And so when you have a guy like him facing, it would have been Jonathan Stever and Alex McRae and uh, probably, you know, Matt Foster and Evan Marshall, like the guys who didn't struggle the day before that was a good matchup on paper. And now when you have that taken off the books, I mean, it'll be added to the books later in May, but you have that like terrible start uh, or terrible matchup on paper taken off the boards and then you have like Lance Lynn probably not missing a start that's about as good as an outcome as you can have uh for a cancellation or postponement in April.
1: Yeah, Bennett, you're supposed to do your first White Sox wake-up call. <laughs> and the game gets postponed so we'll get you on next week, but at least you're here with us on Sox Machine live. Uh with the White Sox having that day off and for you not getting an opportunity to do the White Sox wake-up call. A point Jim just made how big is it for the White Sox to possibly come out of this with Lance Lynn having to go on the 10 day injury list? And now he may not miss a start.
3: Yeah. The immediate reaction, at least for me, because they called the game real early, was like, oh, like it sucks. I'm not doing the show. I'm not going to watch the game. But you immediately turn it over to, all right, everyone gets, pu- no one gets pushed back. You first thought is everyone gets pushed back. and It's you just keep the rotation going. Lance Lynn has been, I think, the most consistent pitcher for the White Sox now that now that uh, Lucas Giolito's had a bad start. So for for you to not actually lose him, lose a a real spot from him uh, in the rotation, I think has been very key for the team and will uh, will be good for them as long as he can come back uh, right off the IL.
1: Yeah, I didn't want to be reminded of Lucas Giolito's start, so thank you so much, Bennett, for that. It's what, what I do. <laughs> but again, the White Sox are 9-9, and it was a good win. Uh, the offense really woke up, not just Jose Abreu, who had two home runs, but Yohan Makata had a big hit, Jim, and Yasmani Grandal also had the home run. But the thing that everyone's talking about after that game, even James Fegan of The Athletic wrote about Yasmani Grandal's catcher's interference, the two of them against him. Uh, is the defense for Yasmani Grandal, it seems to be a little lacking in the first 18 games of the season, uh, is this just a lapse in defensive play from Yasmani Grandal, or is this him trying to make a, an adjustment with him still having that right knee bugging him, uh, that bugged him during spring training?
2: Well, if you believe James Feegan and James Fe- people James Feegan talks to, and I have every reason to, he's a great guy. It, it seems like it's basically like he's still either compensating for the knee or trying to develop a new technique that a lot of catchers are using that takes stress off the knee. And so it's basically like, you know, killing uh two birds with one stone, except that it's in the middle of the season or at least like late in spring training. So he hasn't had the time to work on it in the offseason use a full preseason to work out the kinks. And so you're seeing the kinks in real time. And, you know, uh Grandal has the reputation of dropping some pitches typically because he's trying to frame them. And sometimes he'll just, he'll have too quiet a mitt and the ball will glance off it. Or, um, you know, sometimes he will get the catcher's interference because that's a byproduct of catchers who are trying to frame. And uh, you know, those are natural. And so I see those and, or at least I saw the first catcher interference and thought, well, that's uh Grandall just trying to frame the way McCann had three of them in 27 games last year. but then like the the drop pitches between catcher interference and then the fact that there was a between catcher interference because there was a second catcher <laughs> interference that's where it's just like that's that's not good that's new that's different that's troubling and you know with Zach Collins also not being a plus defender and and with him struggling in the strike zone although better than I think we expected but there's a lot of room above what we expected for him to be passable and still not average uh, that the White Sox might be working in a bit of a deficit in that regard. And that's something we weren't planning for. The first catcher's interference call was maybe the easiest catcher's (laughs) interference call. An umpire is going to come on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It just, clearly took off his glove with the swing it's just
2: uh, i like what uh uh, Johan uh uh when i when i uh tweeted the the gif of him uh uh losing his glove and i said like yeah how is that catcher interference and then, like uh, i think Johan dabrinsky said like he should have just reached back for the ball since nothing happened <laughs> <laughs> great. Uh, that would have been great
1: that would have been great Oh my gosh! Great stuff. Well, again, the White Sox are nine and nine as they head into a nine-game home So this is a pretty key stretch for the White Sox early on, um, because the Minnesota Twins, oh boy, uh, not off to the greatest starts. I. I think of the throw and I just laugh every time. I can't help myself. Um, but our good friend, one of our best friends of the Sox Machine podcast, I should say our best friend of the show, because if he found out I didn't say that, he'd be angry at me. Uh, Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs today wrote a column that yes, the Kansas City Royals can win the American League Central as they currently lead the American League Central. And uh, bringing up as far as the Zips projections from Dan and the whole reason for the column is that Zips is thinking really highly of Kansas City's start and the way that the Royals are playing baseball. Now Zips believes the Royals are going to finish in third place of the American League Central past Cleveland with an 82 and 80 record. And it Zips gives them an 8.1 percent chance of winning the division, and that's all the column was really about today from Dan Zaborski. Is that for those asking, and a lot of people do ask, yes, Kansas City. There are there are simulations that the Royals do win the American League Central, but as a White Sox fan, when you look at the Zips projections, I notice, Bennett, that they have increased from 85 preseason wins after the Aloy Jimenez injury to now 90 and 72 with a 56.6% chance of winning the American League Central. That is a pretty big boost. How do you feel about these Zips rejections, knowing that the White Sox are still a 500 team? The win, honestly, the wins
3: going up is, is makes less sense to me than the division going up to me. I think if you, mm. if you buy into the twins struggles a little bit more, the d- chance of winning the division goes up. I'm not sure if they're still a 90 win team just yet. Uh, but I definitely buy into them having a higher chance of winning the division today than they did two weeks ago.
1: Jim, do you feel like this is a 90 win team? Would you agree with Zips?
2: seeing those projections reminded me of last year following the 60 game season and the updated projections and how the White Sox were basically in position to take first (laughs) and then in a finishing third. So brought back some bad memories in that regard, but I think when it comes to the uh, projections, the shape of them, like Bennett said, it's uh, not so much really what the White Sox are doing, but how much the twins have hurt themselves with their starts and falling behind like, Really, you know, when it comes to the central and the the reward of winning it, you know, you can win it with, uh you know, theoretically can win it with seventy eight wins. If the rest of the division's bad, so really just gunning for first place, uh, for the automatic spot. That's when I saw that and just thought, well, you know, when watching the Twins, they are they are hurting a little bit, and you know they can overcome a, a, a rough start. Um, you know, they have the talent to do so. They have some depth that hasn't materialized. I think they're seeing like the worst case scenario from the back of the bullpen right now that can be overcome, but the White Sox have also (laughs) had back of the bullpen problems and late lead problems. And they've, they've weathered them a bit better or just haven't been as acutely felt. So, you know, perhaps, you know, that could be like the twins have some room to improve, but maybe the White Sox also have room because they haven't really, been Stellar in the late innings, either. So maybe their flaws cancel out a little bit, and the White Sox are just heading the standings right now, and that's enough for the difference. Yeah, the starting pitching, the
1: way that the White Sox starting pitching has begun this season, I think, is a pretty big part on why zips is looking at the White Sox as a 90-win team. That the the runs allowed projection is now decreasing in a significant way for the White Sox based on how the starting rotation has started. And, of course, a a big part of that is how well Carlos Rodon is throwing. I mean, if Rodon keeps throwing like he is now, the fact that you have Giolito, who shouldn't bomb like he did in his last start again, Lance Lynn, and now Carlos Rodon, and have Dallas Keuchel and Dylan Cease keep doing what they're doing, the White Sox may have one of the strongest rotations in the American League. Uh, and that would obviously help out with any type of projection system, of course. So I thought the White Sox would be a 90 and 72 win team, uh, and I thought they would be better than that with the Jimenez. Uh, so it's but it's just nice to see that after 18 games where there are some White Sox fans frustrated with the way they have started, And I understand they should have a better record than they do because they have blown those four games. Uh, but the fact that nine and nine, that the projection systems that were a little dour on the White Sox after Aloy's injury now is buying as the White Sox as the American League Central favorite. I want to get into Kansas City here because as Dan was writing that column and watching the Kansas City Royals and the White Sox now having play Cleveland, Bennett, I think the Royals are going to finish ahead of Cleveland in the American League Central and we've got a lot more White Sox Royals games on the horizon there's 17 more left to go are you buying that would you buy the fact that would you have the Royals finishing against Cleveland
3: they're 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 kind of mirror images of each other they're close like i i just don't buy their pitching to last the full season and i think it's been kind of iffy as it is and as the normal wear and tear of a season goes on, it's theoretically going to get worse with injury. So it's just like, it's just tough for me. Like I, I honestly in preseason, I had picked the tigers as a surprise team, in the division over the Royals. I just, I don't see it from Kansas city. I think Cleveland has their own issues right now and it could, All it right. could be a, a dog fight for third place, but I, I think Cleveland is the better team still.
1: I'm with you, Bennett Kansas city can't pitch and they can't play defense. The bullpen is good, though. The bullpen is still locking up whatever leads that they have. But it's the offense that's really eye-opening for the Royals. They put up a lot of runs. Uh, This series against the Rays, some outrageous scoring going on. And I feel like in this division, especially with how slow offenses have started, Jim, that's kind. That's why I'm on the Kansas City bandwagon. There's going to be a surprise team that's going to be really annoying for the White Sox and make things more difficult than it should be winning this American League Central. After their 17-game start, I'm buying the Kansas City Royals. Do you feel the same?
2: Uh, I guess the 500-ish zips projection that they have for the rest of the season strikes me as still slightly optimistic just because of the pitching issues, just because I think they are thin across the roster. And and we talked about them before the season that I appreciated what the Royals were doing and, and how Dayton Moore was trying, like putting the talent that they have in a position to win. If, you know, things broke the right way and a lot mm-hmm. of things would need to break the right way, but they weren't giving in. They weren't you know, settling for a 75 win projection and saying like, well, better luck next year. Let's hope that Whitmerfield and Sal Perez and everybody there, they're trying to keep uh, keep going in like the back end of their prime starts of their decline. Like they're just, you know, if they're going to keep those guys, they may as well add to the team and, and make them stronger. Even if they don't want to maybe, Mortgage the future, or or you know trade prospects they need, and they haven't done that. But they've made the team more interesting, and I think right now you're seeing a very interesting team. I just think yeah they're going to need a lot of breaks and more breaks, kind of like what the White Sox have uh, th- that situation in which like they can't really absorb another blow like the Eloy Jimenez injury. Uh, but I think in in the Royals' case, like they're even more fragile just because of the lack of pitching. And I think there's they kind of remind me a little bit of um, of the Mariners' hot starts uh from a couple of years ago where they just mm-hmm. um you know they, they were feisty because they had some young talent that could hit the ball of the ballpark and put up some numbers but then it just kind of collapsed on them and I can kind of yeah. see a similar fate not that bad not I don't think their their floor is as low and I think the Mariners their ceiling wasn't that high I think the the Royals are a better positioned in both regards but I can see them having like rough weeks like where just it all go sideways and then they recover, uh, get some guys back, look respectable, but I think they're just going to have some stretches where it's going to be harder for them to stop the bleeding. All right, let's
1: get into Minnesota and what happened on their road trip
2: and the way,
1: the way they lost that game against Oakland. I, I wish that I'm able to play the, the, the video clip again on what happened, uh, and how Oakland won that game because it was, it was amazing just an amazing disaster that Jim is the worst throw I've ever seen a third baseman make in that situation. Like it was a good five feet wide and seven feet too high. And I forgot who tweeted this at me. They asked if, if he was aiming for the first base umpire and to be honest, he probably was as far as on that throw. Um, But Oakland has won 11 straight games. That in itself is a story. But the Minnesota Twins, they are 6-11 and 11 to start this season. And every morning when I wake up, I try to catch up on all the news around Major League Baseball and how the other teams are doing and which players are excelling and which players are struggling. Jim, I have a hard time figuring out the Minnesota Twins to start this season. I still believe they are going to be the top contender For the White Sox, but with the way that Byron Buxton has started this season and Nelson Cruz is hitting and they are still getting some good starting pitching that this bullpen might just be that bad and they're going to have to address it before July.
2: Yeah, I think the COVID outbreak that they're dealing with is a unique situation and uh, something that uh, can certainly throw a team off, make a team worse than the sum of its parts, because like Josh Johnson's back and looking okay right now. So he adds an element that they didn't have last year. So you throw in Buxton, who's looking like a world beater right now, and they should have enough. And it's just right now they're kind of getting disastrous results. And I can see that being uh, something that's maybe just unique to this month because of just all the roster uh, maneuvering they've had to do, the uncertainty, the, the postponements, uh, I can see that accumulating in a way that maybe projections can't account for early on, and something they have to rebound from. But they've dug themselves a hole in <laughs> yeah, that that throw. Um, the the best way I can put it is like it's like the throwing equivalent of the Gordon Beckham Connor Gillespie collision, in that it just it was a routine play made so terribly like that went so terribly wrong that it just, it shatters your faith in future plays. Like every time there's a pop-up in the infield you know, and, and infielders had to call themselves off, I could see that play, like in the, in the shadows <laughs> happening underneath the live action. And I think, you know, for twins fans, it's going to be the same thing. When they see a, a throw across the diamond, they're going to be seeing, like you said, it was like uh throwing to a different person out there. Like he saw, he was seeing double. He saw two first space when he picked the wrong one. <laughs> just, by the
1: way, it, what is
2: it? Is it a uh, what's the new thing? It,
1: the digital trading cards that uh, Top Shot us?
3: Top Shot NFT.
1: Yeah, NFT. I want the Gordon Beckham <laughs> NFT. I want I, somebody to digitally uh, remaster that play. And I want to I, own I,
3: it. I I would buy number one of, of 5,000 of that. I would, <laughs> I would pay up for it.
1: <laughs> that's the only one that I want. <laughs> out of all the plays <laughs> in white Sox history
2: that's the one that i won, the as, as long as it like extends to hawk's call to end the inning
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash Bluewire. Just go to Indeed.com/slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. <laughs>
2: Or just
1: Addison Reed just, three, just standing there.
2: Two minutes of silence. Two minutes of silence, and then screaming at the end, going commercial like, Are you kidding me? And then like that's that's how you went to commercial break. And I just remember being scared, like hearing your parents yell, like for the first time, like like are 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 they getting a divorce? Like that's kind of just what I was like just it was it was that like just like ooh. Was the, like, the, except,
3: the call that made him start thinking, maybe I shouldn't drive two hours each way for a home game.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that, that's when Brooks Boyer started to like look up like, who do we have? some young talent we can bring in? <laughs> well, I mean, again, the,
1: the the terrible throw helped the White Sox uh, because they do have a they have some distance now. On the Minnesota Twins, uh, again they're six and eleven, and the White Sox are nine and nine, and that's why this upcoming homestand is pretty critical for the White Sox to have a strong homestand. I think they got to do better than five and four. I'm thinking six and three, or even seven and two in this homestand to really add some distance between the Minnesota Twins and even maybe overcome the Kansas City Royals to lead the American League Central going into May.
0: The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And the first team they're going to face in this homestand is the Texas Rangers, and the Texas Rangers are currently nine and ten. They won their last game against the Angels. Their offense is not good. Uh, that's a, that's a polite way of saying it. They are only averaging three point eight nine runs per game as a team. Their slash line is two eighteen with a 301 on base percentage and they are slugging 349 their team weighted runs created plus is 88 which means they are 12 percent below league average that is 25th in major league baseball now on the run prevention side they are allowing 4.47 runs per game on the starter side it's pretty interesting when looking at the starting pitching stats for the texas rangers as i have my notes here the 25th for ranger starters and strikeouts. They are, they have the second best walk rate though, behind the Los Angeles Dodgers. They're only allowing 1.89 walks per nine innings. They are the third best starting unit in major league baseball on leaving runners on base. The left on base percentage is 80.7% and they're 13th in home runs allowed per nine. So this is a starting unit, Jim, that for the Texas Rangers, they are really focused on living within the strike zone. And they're doing a really good job as far as limiting walks and the free passes. And if base runners get on, they're doing a really good job of keeping them on base. And I think that's part of the reason why the Texas Rangers right now are 9 and 10. And their bullpen, they're eighth in strikeout rate, their eighth in walk rate. So they're doing a good job there but they are 29th in baseball and home runs allowed per nine. So an opportunity late in the game for the White Sox to hit some homers against the Rangers bullpen. And the Rangers relievers are 21st in Major League Baseball. They on leaving runners on base. That left on base percentage is 70.8%. So whatever damage the White Sox can do against the Rangers starters, I think is going to be pretty critical in this series and determines whether or not the White Sox win this series.
2: When you mentioned the elements, the, uh, low strikeout rates, uh, the high left on base rate, um, you know, the low walk rate, just all those elements make me think like this is a good pitching staff for April. Like that's kind of the elements you want for like when the weather's cold, the ball's not carrying, you know, maybe some hitters aren't don't have their timing yet. And, uh, it's more about like mitigating, uh, you know, I guess, preventing big innings and and mitigating like damage from like the, the rare, maybe defensive miscue or whatever that causes a jam, that seems like the way to go. Like, if you have a young pitching staff that's largely improved and they're not making their own mistakes, they're making offenses hit their way on or hit their way through. You know, drive guys in, and they're not doing it yet. But it seems like when you when you have those elements that you know don't seem sustainable, that's something where like warmer weather, smaller parks, uh, a little bit of wear and tear here and there, that's when it can collapse. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. You know, going into the series is that they're due for some regression and the White Sox are due for some positive growth as we saw with Jose Abreu, uh, the way he closed out uh, that road trip that, you know, maybe that's the start of uh, the offense rolling and, and, you know, those two forces meeting. And looking at the probable pitchers for this series and the Friday
1: game is one of interest. It is the return of Dane Dunning, who was traded by the White Sox for Lance Lynn. He will start the game for the Texas Rangers Friday night. We are projecting that the starter for the White Sox will be Dylan Cease, but at this time the White Sox haven't officially announced that. On Saturday, April 24th, it's a familiar face, Kyle Gibson for the Texas Rangers. Again, we're projecting it'll be Dallas Keuchel, and then Lucas Giolito tries to bounce back on the Sunday afternoon tilt at 1:10 p.m. Central Time. And uh, I mentioned as far as Dane Dunning Bennett, he is back, and Dane Dunning has been throwing the ball really. Well for the Texas Rangers, and he's going to be going up against Dylan Cease in this start again. That's what we are projecting. Maybe Larusa changes his mind and he can go with Dallas Keiko on Friday, but I'm hoping not because we know on White Sox Twitter, Bennett, this is going to be a dominating conversation that will be going on throughout the entire game, especially if Dunning is doing a good job on limiting the damage against White Sox hitters. And if Dylan Cease cannot get through the fifth inning again, so I pose this question to you: Based on how the starts have gone for Dane Dunning and Dylan Cease, who would you rather have at this moment, Dane Dunning or Dylan Cease?
3: So at this moment, I think the answer is it's Dane Dunning because even even with the regression that's obviously coming, he's not gonna he won't be a .6 ERA guy he won't be you know this outstanding and and his innings are going to be limited through the rest of the year uh as he comes back from Tommy John but (laughs) but but he uh it's Dane Dunning I I think Cease is is still an unfinished product which is fine there's nothing wrong with that as everyone who loves him will tell you it's only been 30 major league starts for him which is fine but today, and it's the reason I'm 3-0 and in the Sox Machine Fantasy Baseball League is Oh, Dane my Boney. gosh. Here I got to bring, go. bring it up. Uh, I oh, got to bring it up.
1: Oh, my gosh. I am getting tag-teamed here. Jim's <laughs> giving me crap about Jose Abreu. I'm in Bennett's division in the Sox Machine Fantasy League, and I am 0-2-1. Things are not going well for the Bridgeport Corgis. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Anyways, Jim, how about you after three starts into this season? And again, this is going to be a, a popular talking a point. Talking point, I, I think to get Lance Lynn, I still like the trade for the White Sox, even knowing that there was the possibility that Dane Dunning is going to be a good starting pitcher in the major leagues. But watching how Dunning has started and watching how Dylan Cease has started, it has raised the question from White Sox fans of, Would the Rangers have taken Dylan Cease? And who would you rather have at this moment, Dunning or Cease?
2: Well, I'm torn because, like, I think when it comes to trying to be logically or or historically consistent, internally consistent, I should say, with myself. One, you know, last year when we talked about this conversation between the two pitchers, I said Cease was the guy to keep for longer and just, you know, like the stock you don't look at because it's too volatile, but at the end, it'll, you'll, you'll, you'll profit from having it. Um, but on the on the other hand, in our preseason predictions, I had Dunning winning Rookie of the Year, partially because like just the 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 tax the White Sox pay for acquiring a veteran starting pitching, whether it's like Jeff Samarja, was Marcus Semien, James Shields, is Fernando Tatis Jr. So I think like I erred on the other side, saying well Dunning is going to be better than I thought because I didn't think as much of the the guys they traded away for the last two uh, such trades they made. Uh, so, I think you know, I have the, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be changing horses uh, to you know, switch to one, but I still think Cease is, I, I think it's right now, it's easier to say Dunning just because Dunning is pitching the way he has to pitch to succeed. Cease is still trying to figure out exactly how to do that uh, with, with the way his fastball moves, with his release point, his delivery. Like, he's still a work in progress. And if we could see, like, maybe for two starts in a row, you know, with the fastball that moves the way he wants it to, and with the slider command that allows him to, you know, be a threat in any count. Then I think White Sox fans would say, okay, they made the right call. You know, they they picked the right guy. Um, Dunning will be a nice pitcher for somebody else, and it, it would have been nice to have him, but uh you, you have to pay you, have, you you have to pay the price to get a pitcher like Lynn. Um, but uh it's just frustrating in the interim just because he is a tough guy to watch right now. But I am I'm pulling for him just because like, it is a, a a tough conversation to have? And it's annoying just because, you know, I, I think it does feed into some reflexive fear or, you know, fear mongering that white Sox fans have and some like reflexive self loathing bitterness, <laughs> but it's also, you know, there's, there's something to it as well. And so you just can't dismiss it as like, Oh, just fans being bitter to be bitter. It's just like, well, you know, it's possible just because Dunning, you know, might be better than we give him credit for and cease just like, we talked about with Nate Ivaldi, just like he might be a pitcher that takes years to figure it out. Might always, you know, might need to reinvent himself several times over to figure out like what's working for him in that given year. And it might take a couple teams to do it. It's hard to say. Um, but I, I think, you know, when you look at just their arsenal, what they have, it's like it's hard to even seeing how Dunning's pitching now and seeing how Cease is frustrated so far. I think it's still hard to give up on Cease, like just mm-hmm. looking at him, looking at stuff, it just I think it's two results focused to say Dunning is the guy uh, to, to keep right now. It It is a bit of an unfair question
1: because Dane Dunning is performing, let's face it, the best that he possibly can with the tools that he has. And as you mentioned, Jim, Dylan Cease is not. And he has been a bit frustrating, and I'm hoping – that this is the start for Dylan Cease to go beyond five innings. I think that would do a lot for his confidence because just body language wise, he didn't look happy leaving that game in the fifth inning with runners on base and two outs. And I'm again, I'm really hoping that he pitches effectively. And as I mentioned, the Texas Rangers offense is not very good. So this should be a good opportunity for Dylan Cease to pitch well against an inferior lineup. I'm also seeing Dane Dunning, though, and the way that he throws being a problem for White Sox hitters. Uh, So this first game could be could be fun for the first five innings. Maybe a bit of a pitcher's duel, Bennett, uh, between Dane Dunning and Dylan Cease. Uh, You are the fantasy expert. uh, And when it comes to, you know, a lot of people play daily fantasy sports and people make bets and such. Uh, looking at this Friday contest after a couple of days off, I'm sure there are some White Sox fans itching uh, to put, some, to play some action for that Friday night game. Uh, how do you see the first game of this series playing out? So ugh, fantasy
3: expert. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get in trouble for that.
1: I, one. I believe I, you <laughs> said that you are leading our division and you are undefeated.
3: Yeah, that's that's true. i him on his own petard. <laughs> Uh, so here's, I, cause I've been thinking about it, cause I I do want to play, and I I'm hoping it's a showdown it's like, That's gonna be a really fun one to play, but the like my first thought is immediately if Dylan Cease is starting, that means Grandal is probably out because they want Collins to catch Cease. Maybe they DH Grandal, but I think they're they're trying to keep your mean still in the lineup. So that definitely shades well for Dane Dunning. Um. Regardless of how they're currently hitting, I'll take Yasmani Grandal every single day over Zach Collins. Uh, it you can you can point to the last seven days or whatever. It, it's it's not a debate for me. So yeah, it feels like a good game to take it under. And if it's a showdown, you're starting both starters. Uh, I'm probably playing Dunning as captain, but again, that's that's just a bias at this point. I just I just love Dean Dunning. <laughs>
1: The White Sox better hit Kyle Gibson game two, Jim. He is the most frustrating opposing pitcher since Bruce Chen, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) left the majors. Like I I get so frustrated watching the White Sox play against Kyle Gibson and just screaming my TV. Why can't you hit them? Why can you not hit Kyle Gibson? These pitches look so hittable. You can't make good contact. I'm hoping that it's not a frustrating Saturday night, uh, but I feel like out of these three games, that's the one that the White Sox should be able to capitalize. How do you feel about the other two games for the White Sox and Rangers?
2: Well, I'm looking at uh, – I, I have Kyle Gibson's baseball musings uh, pitching log against the White Sox, and, yeah, 2.98 ERA. Uh, it, it's 106 strikeouts over 111 innings, so not overpowering, but just no walks. Yeah, The homers don't hurt. Uh, a lot of starts with a uh, zero or one run. So, you know, they did hit him hard the last time I'm looking. It was in uh, 2019, five runs over six and two-thirds innings. Finally tagged with a loss after, you know, three easy wins in a row for him. So they have shown the ability to hit him. But, like, I thought the same thing about, like, Shane Bieber. Yeah, just like, looking at his game. Like, like, the White Sox have a surprising number of decent, respectable performances against Bieber. So that always gives me some confidence. And then, like, when he goes out and dismantles – the socks like he did last time out, just like, oh yeah, he's Shane Beavers. Like, so, you know, Kyle Gibson's kind of the inverse in which like, you know, he's not theoretically that good, but he also like the way he pitches, like we we're talking about just the Rangers overall that like, he doesn't make, uh, he, he makes opponents have to score runs on him. Like he doesn't t- particularly like dig his own holes and, 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 and get himself in bad situations. And the white Sox, you know, against right-handed pitching sometimes just can't hit themselves on. So that's the one I think I'm, just most uh, on guard about just because uh, it can be that frustrating, uh, irritating experience that we know so well from his Minnesota days. And
1: in that third game, hopefully Lucas Gilito bounces back. I expect him to bounce back and I expect him to be pitching uh, as a man on a mission after how poorly he did in Boston to make up as far as that performance. Uh, One storyline that I think we should be able to get some news early on Friday is the return of Adam Engel, the white Sox, Tony La Russa, Rick Hahn. They have hinted that Adam Engel could return Jim in this upcoming homestand. And you wrote about it this week for Sox machine, more of an angle though, on how poorly Lori Garcia uh, has been playing for the white Sox to start this season. Uh, but if Adam Engel is ready to join the team, obviously that helps with the left field situation. But what is that move do you think? If they add Angle back to the 26 man roster, who are they taking out?
2: Well, you know, when I was going through Larry's at bats and I watched like all his pitches in order to count how many times he squared around, I wouldn't recommend it for anybody. <laughs> like that's just uh... a <laughs> That's a case where, you know, just, you know, the, the, the guy with no smell or who lost a sense of smell is the one to go in the sewer. And I feel like that's my job sometimes as a uh, a, a White Sox blogger has been doing this for a while is just like, you know, they can't hurt me anymore. So I'm going to go and look at all of Leary's swings and attempts to swing and, and bun attempts to count how often he's doing that. But the thing that was kind of like the through line for me watching his swings and just how – unconvincing they were even on pitches in the zone even when he wanted to pull the trigger was that like is he hurt like is he still like feeling like hmm. the after effects of the thumb surgery or something like that you know underneath just because like the swings you know it's one thing to bunt but like the fact that he's bunting every time he has the opportunity to do so and can say like well I just you know I'm I'm just trying to have productive at bat. That strikes me as like maybe he's hiding something, and so like I guess it wouldn't surprise me if Angle came back if Garcia were the one to go on the injury list just to get either a breather or something for his hand, just because they have Danny Mendick and you know Billy Hamilton might be coming back too. We'll see what you know happens with him, but between like Angle and Mendick, you have all the positions covered that Garcia does, and you know with with Mendick there, like you know he covers all the infield positions you need. So there isn't the need for the super sub that Garcia was, especially when he's not hitting at all. So, you know, I think my biggest fear from there would be like, you know, Adam Engel coming back, um, you know, after missing time and just having to, having to count on him again. That's what makes me nervous is like, everybody loves Engel when he's put in a position to succeed, when he's playing in favorable situations against lefties and, Uh, I think the best situation for angle is that like, you want to be mad at the manager that he's not playing more. I think that's a sign (laughs) of a successful angle is that that's, uh, you know, it feels like he should be playing more. And the manager is the one who knows, like, if I play him more, the number is going to be going down. You can remember why everybody wanted to give up on him. And so to have him be everybody's first idea for left field uh, at this point makes me nervous. So I'm hoping he can get some help somewhere, whether it's, you know, Billy Hamilton helping out, whether it's, uh, you know, maybe, I would like to see Danny mendico go out there just to provide another option left to take a start here or there. Like, but you know, Andrew Vaughn also, while he's around, I think Vaughn might be ticketed for, um you know, Charlotte when the season around, when there's actually games to play. But for the time being, I'd rather see Garcia, maybe just get a mercy interest and just do buy <laughs> that time for Vaughn. you know, say what you will about Vaughn versus, you know, Garcia and Vaughn having his own struggles, but at least he's, at least he's trying, like he, he's, he's swinging convincingly. He just, doesn't exactly know how to square up major league pitching yet, but the confidence is there and he's trying to do damage. Like Garcia is just trying to get out of it. Bats not killing the team. Hmm. No, I I'm glad that you went down that well. Cause
1: my tweet, when he popped that bunt up against Cleveland, uh, Breaks a lot of FCC violations. (laughs) I was very angry. I was very angry. I did not. Man, that was dumb. And you rarely hear Jason Benetti and Steve Stone just openly say how dumb a play was or question on what the White Sox are doing at that moment. But both of them like immediately question that bunt attempt, and we'll see what happens. Especially
2: I, Benetti first. Like usually Stone yeah. is the one that criticizes, it and, and Benetti tries to play devil's advocate or stand up for it. Like the, I guess try to try to spin it positively. But Benetti started out confused, and Stone at, piled on. Right. <laughs> the thing about
1: Lori Garcia, he's a better player than this, and we've seen him play better baseball than this. And I think I'm buying what you are selling, Jim, that there may be an underlying injury here that's bugging Lurie Garcia. It would be a very Los Angeles Dodgers move if the White Sox swapped in Adam Engel and put Lurie Garcia on the 10-day injured list, even though he may not be hurt. But give him 10 days off, see how the thumb does in that time off, and give Adam Engel some run, and then all of a sudden it's May fourth. You can send down the guys that you think that need to go back into the minor leagues, like Andrew Vaughn, and then you could swap Vaughn out for Lurie Garcia, and Garcia comes back, and you don't have to worry about DFAing Lurie Garcia and uh, lost salary. If you did cut him now, you still owe him the three million dollars, and he goes and he plays some for somebody else, pretty much for free. Uh, that's not what you want in this situation. So I'm wondering how Rick Hahn will play it and maybe you are right, Jim. And we could see that swap as early as Friday. But as I mentioned, this is a nine game homestand for the Chicago White Sox and Bennett. It's three games against the Texas Rangers followed by an off day on Monday and then three games against the Detroit Tigers and three more games against the Cleveland Indians. And, As I mentioned, when we started the preview with this series against the Texas Rangers, I feel like the White Sox need to do better than five and four in this homestand. I'm thinking at least six and three to be able to win these three series. Maybe they sweep Detroit and that allows them to maybe lose one of the series to Texas or Cleveland. But I feel like they really need a strong homestand uh, because – it doesn't get much easier after the, after this series. And they go on the road, and they go for two games against Cincinnati. And the Reds are playing some good baseball. And then they go on the road to Kansas City. We just talked about how tough Kansas City's playing to start the season. And then the gauntlet begins. Then it's the 16 games against the Minnesota Twins in a 60-day span, even though this might be the right time to start playing the Minnesota Twins. How do you feel about this homestand, and what are your expectations for the White Sox in these next nine games. So the White Sox are the
3: the better team in all three of those series, which means theoretically they should take two of three in, in, in all three. Whether that's a, you know, that they'll sweep one and take one of three, or or they take two of three in all three in all three, or even get swept once and sweep twice, however the hell that works. Uh I think six and three should be your, your target for for this homestand. With the knowledge that basically everyone's going to pitch twice, you'll you'll miss out on on one guy going twice, but you'll you'll get everyone through the rotation a couple times. The numbers will start to normalize a little bit more in both ways. Um, but this is, as you said, this is the prelude to to the gauntlet. This is this is before everything blows up. You got to take your wins when you know you can get them, and I think six and three is is a lot, but it's reasonable, again, considering they're the better team without question in all three series.
1: And if they can do that, then they're 15 to 12 before a two game series in Cincinnati, where they have days off before and a day off after the series against Cincinnati. So they give the bullpen more rest and then they go to Kansas City, which is always a tough place to play for the White Sox, except for last season. Uh and then they play a red hot Royals team and then they get a day off, and then the gauntlet begins with that home series against the Minnesota Twins. Jim, what are your expectations for the White Sox over these next nine games?
2: Similar. Uh the way I look at it is like the White Sox just, you know, every time they hit 500, they, they drop back. Like they're uh, just having a hard time getting over the hump. And it seems like, you know, at some point during the stretch, when you have the pitchers well-rested, you have the full complement of relievers. Uh, you, you have like a lot of the starting pitching seemingly starting to put together that they should have like a five game winning streak in them or something like a five of six, some kind of role that finally, you know, puts them over 500, gives them the cushion. So, you know, the way I look at it is like, why not now? Like, why is, Why not use this stretch after playing some uninspiring or like, you know, kind of treading water over the first, uh, you know, two to three weeks, this would seem to be a time to you know step on the gas a little bit uh, and and be the team that projections say they are. And, and, you know, even the projections are getting bolder now. So it seems like, you know, they, they should have some stretch in them to back that up. And so it seems like they could win five in a row during this homestand, just because they have to, at some point, like usually teams do, and they're, They're about as well set up as you can possibly be, you know, without like raising Eloy Jimenez back from the dead. Yeah. If they go five and four or
1: uh, if they go four and five in this series, and we're talking about a 13 and 14 White Sox team as the calendar rolls over from April to May, I just feel like that's another lost opportunity for this White Sox team that yeah, they are 500 after the first 18 games, but they got a real good shot here, as you mentioned, that if they could put together a five-game winning streak, hopefully that not only feeds a ton of confidence for that clubhouse, they start buying more into how well that they're playing rather than answering a lot of questions of why aren't you guys playing up to the level that we were expecting before the season started. I that would be huge. I think that would be a big thing for the White Sox, Jim, if they can pull off a five game winning streak, because I don't think I want to have that conversation when we have a Sox machine podcast come on Monday, Jim, before that Cincinnati series. And we're talking about a 13 and 14 White Sox team like I, I just I just don't think that'd be a good feeling. And I think even the projection systems would have to start changing their minds if the White Sox can't take advantage of this opportunity.
2: Yeah, I was thinking of like four and five. That would mean like they probably lost every game they were at 500, which I mean, I think would Mm -hmm. make they were like 0-12 on the season when they had an even record. So I think that's – if they went four and five and and alternated uh, losses and wins, then I would imagine like, okay, they're just not – there's a force field uh, above 500 and they can't break it this year. So let's just – May as well start the off-season plan project already. Oh,
1: God. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right, well, before we sign off on this show, uh, do want to give a shout out to our friends from the 108. Uh, they are going to be streaming live on their YouTube channel, youtube.com slash from the 108 that are, for those that are watching the live show, they're going to start at 830. So if you want more White Sox talk uh, in a different manner, go to their YouTube channel. Again, that's youtube.com slash from the 108. It's always an entertainment, entertaining time watching Terezi beef loaf at my sock summer do their thing. But before we sign off Bennett, I'm going to go back to you uh, because I had the reverse hex on Jose Abreu and I am sure Jose Abreu is going to have a huge series, especially if he focuses on just hitting the <laughs> fastball uh, in these next three games. But is there somebody that you like maybe a pick to click to watch offensively for the white Sox this weekend?
3: I mean, like, Tim Anderson's the easy answer. He's been just hitting the, the crap out of the ball. And I love watching Tim hit, especially when he's hot. It, it's probably Tim. And then I want to see more of Luis Robert continuing to see, see if he can continue adjusting, if he can keep finding something. Like I, I think Robert's probably my pick to click, but I'm going to be sitting, you know, sipping pretty watching watching Tim uh, swing as well.
1: Anyone that you see breaking out, Jim, offensively and having a strong weekend?
2: Well, I think if I were doing the reverse hex, uh, I think I probably probably laid the track for uh, Larry to get back on track. So I think, uh, you know, uh, although that's a softer target than uh, Brayu is when it comes to uh, betting the under, but I, I think for uh, the guy I like swinging the bat more, I think Mankata is probably the one who seems like he's the next to have. The explosive game that makes everybody feel more confident in how he's going. So I mean, yeah, Anderson's looking good, Robert's looking good. But I think if we're looking for the next guy to join the party properly, I think Mankata might be the guy.
1: Yeah, strange stat Yohan Makata combined has one base hit against changeups and breaking pitches. Every other base hit's been off a of fastball. So that's kind of like 2018 Yohan Makata. Not so much 2019, Yohan Makata. So it'd be nice in this series, in this next nine game homestand, that if Yohan Makata starts getting some base hits against breaking pitches and off speed pitches. But hey, when you're facing fastball dominant pitchers like Dane Dunning on Friday and Kyle Gibson on Saturday, you know, take advantage of that for Makata. And hopefully he does wake up. That's that's a great pick, Jim. I hope that he does wake up. The weather should be pretty good over the weekend. Sunday's going to be a little bit cooler in Chicago. And then it'll be 76 degrees, the high, for Tuesday uh, when the White Sox start that series against the Detroit Tigers. So I don't want to hear about the weather impacting the White Sox. It's <laughs> go time. And hopefully the White Sox do come up big in the next nine games, especially during the homestand. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to everyone that watched the live stream on YouTube.com slash Machine. And if you can, if this is your first time watching Socks Machine Live, if you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, that would be great because then you'll be notified of all of our new videos. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And you can follow Bennett on Twitter at the Bennett K. And if you bug him enough, he'll help you get more followers on Twitter. So definitely do that. Only if he likes you. So make sure you're on his good side. For those that don't get an opportunity to watch the live stream, no worries. Every episode of Sox Machine Live is uploaded into our podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Sox Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy our work, think about helping support us by signing up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where we have several different tiers of support starting at $2, $3, $5, and $10 a month where you get exclusive content, ad-free podcasts, ad-free website, and also first crack at our Sox Machine swag. So again, go to patreon.com slash Machine and sign up today. Sox Machine Live is a production of socksmachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis and Bennett Carroll, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching Sox Machine Live.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you.